Hello, podcast listeners. So today on the episode, I got a longer conversation with Joe Worthington from Jungle Brothers Strength and Movement over in Sydney. And he's also the co-creator of Bulletproof for BJJ, which is online training program, strength and mobility for Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes or players. And I love getting John the podcast because ever since I first met him years ago, uh, he's just always struck me as the most down-to-earth, real kind of guy and someone who really can resonate with his tribe, really knows how to lead a tribe. Uh, They've got a really cool team there at Jungle Brothers. We've done a previous episode together where we fleshed out a lot of the JB story, so I recommend going back and listening to that. In short, Jungle Brothers is a bit of a behemoth. It's got a a huge sort of kind of cult following, I guess you could almost say. Uh, And at a minimum, I'd I'd call it a very, very strong culture, really tight-knit, who are very clear on who they are and who they're not. And I think this is really powerful. So if you're in, you know, any of these sort of spaces where you're a personal trainer, coach, gym owner, yoga, anything where you've got that, um, tribe or community connection sort of playing out uh, that first episode will be really good to listen to as well and then in this one we dive into uh, storytelling of all things we start to talk about storytelling because the ability for Joey and the other guys there at JB's to create this culture really when you think about culture is there's this collective buying into or affiliation with a story. So we see this all the time. We see this with Tesla. Uh, we see this with JBs. We see this with uh, Red Bull. We see this with brands in general. So it's this kind of affiliation with the story. So we get stuck into that and kind of frame up how Joe thinks about it. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, you're listening to the Access Potential Podcast, and this is John Marsh. All good at your end? Um, yep. Just staying out of that direct sun. Yeah, man. Good to go. Yeah. All right. We'll get stuck into it. Uh, Let me think. Yeah, I may as well do an intro now. Hello, podcast listeners. Thanks for checking in. Today on the episode, I'm going to sit down with Joey from Jungle Brothers and from Bulletproof for BJJ. So Joey's been on the podcast once before? Yeah, once. Yeah. Once before he was up our way. way back, I think around episode 30 something, something like that, which is really cool. And really excited to sit down again. So for context, if you're listening, we're kind of one month into the semi sort of Corona isolation-ish existence. So I've been seeing a lot of what Joey's been talking about and really liking the content he's been creating. And he's always just hitting the nail on the head in terms of culture and community. So I wanted to Get him on the podcast because I think a lot of you guys out there who are coaches, trainers, uh, business owners could learn a little bit and get some value and maybe find some little tips or things to kind of move on to the front foot, uh, which may or may not be relevant. So Joey, thanks for making some time, man. How's everything going? Pleasure, bro. I'm happy to be here. Um, Yeah, man. Everything's going quite well, all things considered. It's, um, you know, everyone's in a in a, a slightly different situation, I guess. But, um, you know, from a business perspective, things are going okay at the moment. Um, they're obviously not great. Um, but, you know, things are holding out. 
Um, and I am a generally pretty optimistic guy and I'm enjoying extra time at home and being able to eat more meals with my partner and, and just, just be here a little bit more often. So, you know, altogether pretty good. Take us through what was the, uh, what was, cause I saw you guys, you know, there was a lot of, like everyone, a lot of team meetings, a lot of kind of energy that you can obviously going into, um, understanding what's going on, how this is going to play out and then what the next steps are. What was it like for you guys in, you know, the last month as you heard the news kind of got your heads around what's going to happen in terms of how this will play out for the business and then sort of implementing the next steps. It was, um, it was a, it's, it's really funny just thinking about it as you ask that it's kind of hard looking back over how much has changed in four weeks. Mm. Um, but if I think back to, if I think back to sort of when it all kicked, when it was, when it was kicking off that the, the COVID-19 thing was coming and that lockdowns were imminent. Um, I remember that there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of speculation in the media, a lot of speculation amongst business owners and just, just everyone in general. And we made a decision to stay, uh, stay very much on the front foot from the beginning. Uh, so this is, this is for Jungle Brothers, which is, you know, the main, my main business um, where I spend, you know, every day. Um, because we were seeing that there were gyms, uh, you know, martial arts academies, gyms in other parts of the world, but also like in, in Australia, there were some places in Melbourne where the, the lockdown was becoming, was even closer for them. And so I was getting contact from people there saying, Hey man, our gym's probably going to shut down, like whatever. And I was like, shit, we haven't heard any news of this yet in Sydney, but obviously if it happens there, it's going to happen here too at some point. So um, we made a decision to stay on the front foot and to not, we didn't want to be held at the mercy of, uh, at the mercy of kind of being behind the eight ball. Mm. Um, so what that meant was, we made a decision very early on to, we had like different stages of action that, that took place within our gym. And we were very quick to, to enact like stage one, which was no contact classes, distance between everyone, you know, hand washing, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Um, at that time, some people were like, oh, you guys are taking it a bit too seriously, don't you think? Like, can't we still train jujitsu, you know, whatever. And we're like, look, we just think this is the most responsible decision. Sure enough, four days later, no one was training fucking jujitsu anywhere, you know, and everyone was like on board with that decision. Um, but so we sort of kept that same, um, that same approach throughout everything. So we, we decided to close our doors before we were actually forced to close the doors. Mm -hmm. um, we decided to stop PT before we had to stop PT. And I guess the beauty of that was, um, was that it, it gave our community. So our gym members, it gave them confidence in us as decision makers and mm -hmm. leaders of the community. Um, and that was really powerful. And I didn't really understand how powerful it would be until we started just to receive all of the feedback that we've been getting since then. And up until today, people are like, Oh, you know, just that our gym and our business felt like a really stable place to them. The environment felt stable. Mm -hmm. The decisions felt like they were good ones. And they as a as a client of ours or a member of our community felt really confident being with us mm -hmm. um so i think sort of energetically for people that was that was really powerful um 
obviously in behind the scenes, there was like plenty of concern for us. We had a lot of meetings with our coaches. Um, the, you know, I got to give shout out to my business partners, Paul and Tiora and, yeah. and largely Tiora through this stage. He's, he's the CEO of jungle brothers. We each have our roles and he is the CEO. He's the strategy guy and the visionary, um, which we've spoken about before in our podcast. Yeah, yeah. But he's a beast. He's a, yeah, he's a savage. And especially at a time like this, like he just kicks into this fucking strategy mode and he just yeah. turns into like a laser focus. Like, yeah, bro. It's wild. And you know, you realize like he really, he really needs a battle on his hands in order to bring out the best in him. But he, he was really good at getting the coaches together in the beginning and saying, um, ask yourself these questions. Uh, what if you can't earn a living for the next three months? Who can you stay with? What if your parents get sick? Do you have a safety blanket? What debts are you paying that you can stop paying? What expenses can you curb? Like just really, really astute and really like practical questions. Yeah. Really practical and yeah. shit that was pretty confronting, right? Some of it. Um, but what it did was it got, it got everyone on side and it got everyone on the right page and it, it got everyone to realize okay, this could be a really fucking bad situation for all of us. So let's just go into it knowing that we've got to make very good decisions here and we're going to, and everyone's going to need to work together. And that sort of set the tone for, for how it's been over the last month. Yeah. I want to hear about how your, cause I saw some shots of your, uh, the lighting setup. Obviously if, if you're listening, go back and listen to the last time we talk about Joey's story and how the kind of the team came through from the film industry. Um, obviously that gets me a little bit excited because I love content and video and all that stuff. So how did that feel like to get everything going and what did that look like? Did you guys go full tilt online? What did that whole change look like for you? So we, the first thing we did uh, after the lockdown was we, we went to online classes and they were done through Facebook live and we were doing like two to three classes a day. So we were like, we made some assumptions. Okay, people probably aren't going to be getting up to train at 5.45 for the next little while. Give me a second. Where's my mic? There it is. Yeah, people probably aren't going to be getting up at 5.45 for a little while. Sorry, bro. Let me just fix this thing. Um, yeah, how's that? Yeah, good. So people aren't going to be getting up at 5.45. People probably don't need three different classes in the evening to choose from, et cetera, et cetera. Um, these assumptions were not necessarily correct. However... They were the assumptions we made at the time. So we started running the classes. Um, we, you know, we thought, okay, well, the, the nature of the classes has to change because people don't have a barbell sitting in the living room anymore. So we sort of renamed the classes and reprogrammed them and put out an offering. And we started with that right away. And the initial uptake was, was, was pretty good. The other thing we did was we started a really, um, a really comprehensive, uh, I suppose, like customer, like a, like a retention strategy where we're yeah. like, okay, we need to stay in touch with every single person in the gym, yeah. like a lot. So we split up our group of members, which is 182 members. We split them up across um, six of our coaches and each coach became responsible for a flock of, of those people. Um, that was what happened in that first week from the feedback in talking with our members throughout that first and second week. A lot of them talking that they were mentioning that they, they, they liked the online workouts, but they wanted something that gave them a little bit more empowerment to their training. They didn't just want to follow a workout. Mm -hmm. They liked 
how we how things were programmed in the gym and how they always knew that they were working towards a goal. Mm-hmm. And they kind of wanted a bit of that back. So we had an online program that we built around three years ago. I remember and that. Yeah, and it was, it was you know, we, we never, we didn't market it to the world and we, we just kind of had it there for people who would reach out and ask if we had something. And it was quite effective. And we were continuing to build that. And then we ended up moving into our current space. And so it just went on hold. And we didn't get a chance to look at it for a long time. So we essentially just turned it off, made those pages unavailable. So we decided to get that going again and give all of our members a login to that. So we're like, hey, here's all the things we're doing. One of the things we're doing is um, you can follow this online program as well as the classes. And we're going to spend time over the next, over the coming weeks, months, putting more content onto the online program. So we're like, at the moment, it's got a really cool body weight program on there and an upper body strength program. We're gonna keep building it out. And we thought we'd build it out for, um, for different equipment packages. So here's a kettlebell program, here's a barbell program, here's a rings program, etc. cetera. Um, no, no rocket science, right? But just trying to accommodate what, what people would be able to utilize. That all cruised along okay and uh, right before, I remember it was like the, it was the Thursday, it was the Thursday before uh, the lockdown got really serious. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but there were those rules coming in that were like- On the Sunday night where it was just like, after that, it was just like nothing. Exactly. Yeah. That, the Thursday prior to that, yeah. we're like, um, hey, we need to shoot a bunch of content because the stuff that's on the online program is a bit dated. It's not really up to date with what we're doing in the gym. And so our current members probably aren't going to love it. Like it's going to tide them over for a week or two, but yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be current brand. Yeah. So, uh, Tiora's like, we got to do a shoot and, uh, we're like, fuck. All right. Like, what do we need to shoot? And we thought, well, let's get like our favorite, like our, our popular classes, body weight, strength and movement, um, stretch. Let's get like six to 12 weeks of programming for each of those classes onto the program. So people can follow it. And we're like, all right, cool. And then we're like, it's got to look sick. We've got to do it really well. So we were like, all right, what do we have available to us? So we reached out to a friend of ours, Steve, Steve Daly, shout out Steve. I don't think he listens to podcasts, um, but he, he's a friend of ours from the film industry who never left. And so he's got a whole bunch of lighting equipment and, you know, we used to work together and he was like, guys, I'll give you a van full of equipment and just do what you need. So we got a bunch of lights off him and like a big fucking van fully. No, it was a small truck actually. Yeah, like the, the setup looked truck. legit. It's super legit, yeah. yeah. And then um, we, one of our members who owns a production company, he reached out and was like, hey, if you guys need any help with anything, I can come and shoot stuff for you. Sick. And so we called him up and we're like, bro, we need your help. Um, he came in for a meeting on the Thursday. He's like, yep, let's do it. We'll shoot Saturday, Sunday. We'll get a sick camera. And we'll just, we'll just block out a bunch of exercises and we'll shoot, you know, for two days straight. So that's what we did. We spent Friday planning and then, uh, and getting the gear organized. And then Saturday, Sunday, we just shot like fucking 14 hours a day. And we just, you know, we got as much content as we could. Um, then we fell back on another favor, which was another member of ours who's an editor from the film industry. And she was like, hey, I'm going to be chilling with my parents in isolation if you need anything edited. We're like, hey, just so happens we've got like 250 exercises that all need to be edited. We'll send the hard drive down to Melbourne. Thanks a lot. Like a lot of favors were called in and we're kind of 
famous for that. And we're, you know, we, we try to repay them and we're very thankful for the people that are around us. Um, and so that was, that was that piece. And now that is, that is all currently being processed. So it was three weeks ago now, I'd say or four weeks ago. What has happened since then is that we realized the classes we were running online weren't good enough. Um, two classes a day wasn't enough. Having classes of different names and different sort of different, like a different vibe, it wasn't what our, it wasn't what our members knew and what they signed up for. So mm -hmm. we put out a survey and the survey asked a shitload of questions. And essentially what we deduced from that survey was that a lot of people actually had equipment that they could use. Like 50% of our membership base had either a kettlebell or a barbell or a pair of rings. A lot of people had access to equipment. Um, a lot of people still wanted to train at like 5.45, 7.15 in the evening. Like people were still around. A lot of people were still working. Mm. Um, so we decided we would put on or we would return to our full class schedule. And that's what we did. Yeah, cool. It's really interesting because one of the things that I'm seeing and kind of feeling as well, if you think about what sort of happens if you're on the consumer side is like, you've got all of a sudden global uncertainty. And one of the really cool things about being part of a gym or a community or whatever is you, you turn up at 545, you turn up at 730, you turn up at the certain time, and it gives you this structure in your day. And when all when a lot of structures being removed in our lives, it's cool that you guys have the ability to help people to maintain some sort of order. Sometimes it's like a short term kind of certainty that feels really good in a world that's gone really uncertain. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I do. I mean, you, and uh, you know, I guess exercise like many things is one of those is really kind of one of those bits of, um, architecture that brings structure to a person's day isn't it yep. it's like yeah it, it could be that it could be your morning walk or it could be a meditation or whatever it is but it's like here's a thing you do routinely at this time and it will make the rest of your day fall into place yeah yeah it's like having that constraint those time constraints or those specific offerings at a certain time is a little bit less because the other way of course is like you know recorded workout that you could do anytime but then you really just have this lack of constraint as well and you kind of got to deal with how do you build that sort of scheduling back into your own day. What have you seen? Uh, what else have you seen work, not work? What else has been going on? Like community wise, content wise. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, so we, you know, we made, we kind of, we assumed that, that everybody would be into online workouts because that was kind of the best thing that was on offer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, um, it, it's not for everybody, but given the situation, it's mostly what we have. Um, we found that there were new obstacles in that process for certain individuals. So say, um, a lot of people that really, uh, one of the things we did was we, we took all of our workouts off Facebook live and we went to zoom and we went to zoom because it's a much better platform for social interaction. People can see each other, they can chat. Mm. Um, it's great, right? Like, and it allows us to see them and it allows us to coach them effectively. Whereas on Facebook live, you're essentially, they're following you in the Just workout and it's all about you. Yeah. So we, we thought, okay, people will appreciate this change. And a lot of people had said that they would, but then there was the obstacle that a lot of people didn't feel comfortable being on camera. 
mm. and having others see them on camera and having others catch a glimpse into their home, mm. or in, you know, into their life. Maybe they've yeah. got a messy apartment or whatever. So that was, that was something just in terms of communication that we had to address and we had to tell people, Hey, if you have concerns around that, it's totally fine. Um, you don't have to have your camera on. You can just join the workout and kind of be anonymous. Um, but it, it's important that we get you there. So that was a thing. Um, we also launched like with our, with the retention system, strategy that we put in place, we were encouraging all of our coaches to do weekly zoom catch-ups with their groups of members. And that has been, and still is very successful, but we also found that there was likely uh, a bit of digital burnout going on for folks where, and I felt this for myself mm. where all of a sudden you're like interacting with a computer screen for way longer each day. And as much as the interactions on through the screen are, are, are pretty genuine and pretty good, there's, it, it's quite energy consuming and it's quite taxing. Yeah. So I think we realized, okay, we need to be understanding that, that some people, some people really want this and more of this and some people need a bit of their own space and maybe it's better for them not to do a live workout for a couple of days, you know, um, that sort of thing. Um, that's all that comes to mind right now. Talk about um, you, you're heavily involved in BJJ. So if you're listening uh, in the previous conversation with Joey, we talked about how he, uh, basically how he built up Bulletproof for BJJ, which is a strength and conditioning and mobility online offering for BJJ players. Kind of right? Yep. Um, and that you guys have grown a lot since then from what I can see. Um, what are you seeing? Like, how are those two worlds balancing? Are you seeing a similar stuff with the people that you work with in that side of the world? I know you did some, uh, like some, again, some zoom catch ups, that kind of thing with some of those guys, men and women, are you seeing a similar thing play out? Yeah. With the, say with the jujitsu thing, I, I've seen a lot of um, heads stuck in the sand. Yeah. Um, this is, this is for the people that own academies. Um, and you know, like there were people that were, there were academy owners that I knew that were like, man, we got to shut the academies down. And there were people that chose to shut early. And then there were people that were like, fuck that. I'm not going to shut until I'm forced to shut. Mm -hmm. And the, some of the people that, you know, some of the people were put like some of the owners put memberships on hold instantly. They're like, well, I'm just going to put memberships on hold because I can't teach any classes for the guys. So put them on hold. And then other people are like, no, I'm going to keep charging them. But so there was kind of this whole spectrum of um, behavior from people running academies. And what I could see, and this is speaking generally, this is obviously not all of them, but it was a lot of them. And I do know a lot of them because I've been in the game for a long time was that they were making a lot of these decisions without actually considering the ramifications of that decision. So, you know, the academies say that just close the doors and put all their um, memberships on pause. It's like, all right, like it's fine. Like it's a very honest thing to do if you don't wish to try and come up with a new way to give value to your team. However, what's going to happen in three months if you're still not receiving any membership income, will your business still be in existence or will you have had to have gone to something else by that time? Um, 
similarly for people who were still taking payments, it was like, okay, what are you now doing to, to look after the team? Have you called everyone? Oh shit, mm. it's been two weeks mm. since you've actually connected with your members. And uh, I think uh, there's a... Is it kind of an old, a more old school culture and because it's, it's so hands-on in terms of the practice, is it kind of being held back from that side of things, you think, or like a lack of seeing things play out online in other businesses? Why do you think they, that was, there was so much kind of, not chaos, but so much difference across the board early? I really think that it's because it's a younger market. Yeah. And it just doesn't have the same support structures that are present, say, in the fitness industry yet. So a good example is somebody like yourself. There's no, like you're out there helping gym owners and practitioners. Uh, you're teaching them how to be leaders and how to connect with their community and how to do that in a way that is mutually beneficial, both for their client, for the owner of the business, and also for the business entity itself. Um, fundamental stuff, right? Like not, you know, but you're, but you're packaging it in a way that, that they can consume it and they can create a better life and a better business and all those things. That shit doesn't exist for jujitsu academies. It doesn't like, because it hasn't had to yet. It's mm. still in like the golden era where you just like put a sign on the front of your building that says jujitsu classes yeah. and people come and sign up because they're like, I've seen UFC. Um, so what happens is like, there's, there's sort of, it's the golden era. There's a bit of a boom. Everyone's kind of doing pretty well out of it, but there's no one out there that's like, it hasn't had the chance to be competitive for a long period of time so that you get people like, like yourself as an example who evolve in order to support the Academy owners because mm. it's they more like based yet. off of owning a specific kind of geographical location where you open up and then that's kind of your area. So you're okay. And therefore the need to, to provide maybe different types of connection or value doesn't exist because it's kind of locked in based off of where you're set up. Is that kind of right? Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's that, but it's even like, even if you go and open up across the road from another Academy, the rate of uptake of new, of new people into jujitsu is such that that Academy can be busy as well. And mm. then the third one that opens on that street can also be busy. Like everyone can just clean up and you don't even have to be that good at it. Like, I mean, this is changing right as we speak, but, there's a lot of shit. There's a lot of shit practitioners out there with really poorly run schools yeah, right. who are still doing great. And it's just because it's young. So, you know, you could liken it to say the early days of CrossFit when you had a lot of cowboys operating fucking ridiculous gyms, running crazy fucking programs, breaking people, but people are like CrossFit's awesome. Mm. Now people know the market's a bit more intelligent. They understand those people aren't really in operation anymore. The ones that are left are the, the you know, the highest high quality operators. So, it is partly geographic, but it's also partly that it's all just young and it hasn't had to, it hasn't gotten into a situation where, where gym owners are like, you know what, man, I should probably invest a little bit of time in learning how to do marketing or I should maybe seek a business coach because I'm not really sure how I can connect with my guys or do you know what I mean? Totally. And it's interesting because at the same time, whilst it's all new, like we could be talking about a florist shop, a cafe, a dance studio, like at the end of the day, we're talking about human interaction and connection. And so I'm, I'm sure that there's some owners and, and operators of some of the academies who are like, 
fully crashing it because they're connecting back on that human level. Right. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree. And I mean, the beauty of jujitsu is that like when you come to class, like if I'm, if I own the place and you come to class, like we get to hug each other for like seven minutes, every session, maybe like if we do a few rounds, we get to hug each other for like three rounds. Like the connection you get with your coach and with your teammates is so intimate and so mm. deep because you just, it's such a physical sport, right? Um, that you just develop a bond that almost, it's very hard to replicate that when you're teaching somebody how to do a handstand or how to do a, you know, a clean and jerk or whatever. Um, because there's a lack of physicality, there's a lack of physical connection there. Um, so there is something very special in the practice of jujitsu that enables this connection to be like really deep. Um, and, and often um, that's kind of enough, like that's enough to that plus the, the rate of, of popularity of the sport, like the growing interest in it is just enough to make academies do quite well. Yeah. However, once that one pillar, which is like the central pillar is taken away, it's like what's left. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, that is where maybe the fitness realm is fortunate is that there are people like you out there uh, who are telling fitness operators what they can do to, to, you know, like if their main system of delivery has been taken away, okay, what can it look like now? What other things can you offer to bring connection back to your people? Mm. Let's talk a little bit about, um, I want to understand a little bit and dive into how you think about kind of brand and storytelling and affiliation, because when we think about jungle brothers and we talked a little bit about this last time, and it was one of the reasons why I've always looked up to you guys is your natural tendency to infuse the origin story of JB's kind of the culture of JB's um, into your brand and look and feel so that, you know, as soon as I walked in there, I think it was the first time I'm like, can I get myself a hoodie? Right? Like it's this wanting to be a part of a culture, which is uh, you know, this concept of affiliation, like I'm part of the tribe. I've, I trained at JB's or whatever it is. And you see it all the time, people putting up social posts as soon as they go to your gym. Um, and my guess is that this is working out for you uh, on the macro level with JBs as everything slowed down is that what I've seen is a lot of the businesses and gyms with strong brand, even if it's a cafe, it's like people still show up and they might have to stand 200 meters away from the cafe, but they, they're a part of this tribe and they want the tribe to be there after this is lifted. And so you see a lot of support and you see a lot of kind of this momentum carry through. Uh, could you talk a little bit about a, if that's even true, like if you see what I'm talking about, if that resonates and then um, maybe B, like, do you see this lacking in the BJJ culture? You know, like that sort of storytelling affiliation kind of brand feeling with some of the academies. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's true, right? Like you, you, you see it in a way that, that I, I don't necessarily because it's, it's, not as, it's not as deliberate when we do it. It's mm. just kind of whether it's a chance combination of things or it's, you know, um, whatever it is, it, it's, it's, not, it's not as deliberate. Um, however, we, yeah, we do. I mean, we've, 
our, our feeling from the beginning of our business was that we, we were against the grain of the fitness industry. We, mm. we really wanted to be counter to the majority of what's out there. And that's not to say that everything else that's out there is wrong. It's just to say that culturally we thought that the, the fitness industry on mass is pretty fucking lame and not something that we wish to kind of propagate. Good to see your views have stayed consistent since the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe the, the words I used to describe them changed somewhat. No, pretty similar. <laughs> but so um, being that that has always been central to our kind of our culture, it, it's been necessary to tell our story so that we can get that across. Yeah. Because you don't just, you can't just say fitness is fucking lame. Come to a lift class. You know, it's got to be like, Hey, you know, Joey T and Paul, we got into this thing and this is how it evolved. And here's what we found. And you know, the story kind of helps to bring some validity to the claims you're making. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I'll be honest as, as the marketing guy for jungle brothers, it's, it is a bit of a challenge to tell that story. Cause I think sometimes I go away from it and then I'll have someone T or Paul will say, man, like you should, you should talk more about that thing that happened or, mm. you know, and I'll be like, Oh yeah. Like T mentioned the other day is like, I was talking to them about the Instagram and, and sort of how I haven't been giving it as much attention lately as I would have liked to, because we've been really busy getting everything else up and running. And um, I was just saying, you know, in the next couple of weeks, I really, I want to put time back into that because I think it's very valuable for us. And T was like, yeah, bro, you could fucking tell that story about when the, the undercover cops came and tried to bust us when we we're doing the uh, after we're filming on that Sunday, when we we're packing the gear out, a couple of undercover female police officers came and like started questioning us and someone reported us and said that the gym was open. Anyway, funny things like that, that it's like, Oh yeah, like that is a good story. Like I should totally. tell that. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I appreciate you mentioning that that comes through because I don't always feel like I'm doing a great job of putting that out, even though I know that it's very important. Um, I think the, I think that the, the idea of culture within a, within a business or within a gym or a team or whatever, there does have to be deliberate steps taken in order to instill the culture in your members. And in order to kind of, to have this thing that, that continues to grow and evolve, um, because, you know, you communicate with them all the time. You might send a newsletter or maybe it's how you talk to them when they first walk into the gym or it's the music that's playing or it's something you've got written on the wall or it's a social event and what did you call that event and what are you actually doing? So I think for a lot of jiu-jitsu academies, they, it's, it's really not a consideration, the culture. Mm, yeah. It's never like a, hey, what kind of business are we? What do we stand for? What is it that we value? What is it that we want for our members? It's just like, it's, it's almost way more two-dimensional than that. Mm. Um, and again, I'm not looking to be uh, critical of places that, ne that don't necessarily fit into that idea. But I think for a lot of them, it's like, oh, jujitsu is really fucking cool. And uh, I'm going to teach it three times a day and you should come learn. Mm. And that's it. And mm. because it's usually one person that starts the academy, there is a culture that builds around them because it's just what happens when you have one person who's leading a group, mm. right? However, it can be hard to, I don't know, I, I guess that presents its own challenges, like in a situation like this or like in a situation where you want somebody else to come and coach for you. 
if you don't have a culture and you've never sat down and kind of articulated it, it can be very hard to, uh, to pass it on or to have it grow outside of you, I guess. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I, when I look from the outside, like I think that you guys are one of the best, uh, and I know that a lot of it comes organically, but I'd say definitely for Paul, definitely for you. Um, not so sure about T cause I don't see as much come out, but your guys's personal story really shines through. Then you can see how that comes through in the JB story, right? Kind of this origin story of the whole tribe. Then I see that, uh, reflected in the language and the music in the pictures on the wall, the Bruce Lee, the, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme, the, you know, the Arnie, like without really knowing that much, somehow I know a lot. Right. So when we know that, when we see that, like, so what the question I'll often ask is like, does it feel like I know these guys? Like it kind of does, like it kind of feels like I could go and hang out with them and, and sort of know them right and sort of have trust and so you've obviously done a really great job at weaving that through to be honest it was since the beginning because i remember seeing it at the start and we sense resonance and trust very early in um in an interaction and the i was down here the cafe a couple of weeks ago and it was locked down but you could have a takeaway right and there's two cafes. There's one called Estebar and there's another one that's called Golden Something. And, and that's a problem already. I don't know the name of it. Literally two doors down. And they're at Newcastle Beach. And Estebar has been open. I used to live up here in 2006. And uh, the woman who owned it opened it as a sole operator. She would deliver great coffee, treat everyone really well, knew all the locals, was super friendly. She's slowly grown. She's got more employees, but she's still there all the time. And we rock up and there's like 40 people spread out, right? A couple hundred meters radius having their coffee and the other place is closed. Hmm. And, you know, did it need to be closed? Like, and, and this is the thing, like Estebar, same as you guys, she knows that she needs to be open for her tribe, even if that's a skeleton kind of serving or offering. And the tribe knows that she's going to be open for them and she shows up emotionally for them and they show up emotionally for her. And there's this beautiful exchange and you just know that she's going to continue to trade right the way through. And if she can and, and whatever that looks like, and that when they open back up, if anything brand will be stronger because the diehard fans were able to continue to operate and have that affiliation. And I see that with you guys. Um, I've seen it with a few gems. It's really cool. Um, and I kind of want to acknowledge that, you know, we were talking about your culture in the first conversation. And the cool thing is to see, it's cool in a kind of sick way to see how it plays out when there's a bit of pain, but the, the support and the troops rallying behind when you see something like this pop up is a testament to the work that you've done, you know, the storytelling, everything that you've done in the background. So I think, I think it's clear from the outside and it's very cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. And I, I, I did come to realize that pretty early on through this whole thing that, yeah, like, like you just said, all of the stuff that we've done and all of the, um, all of those little interactions and the little cool gestures we've made and, the, the community that we've built, we can now really see, not, not, necess not necessarily put it so mechanically, but like the fruits of that labor 
uh, are, are coming to bear now. It's like, okay, like people are really backing us as best they can and they're really supporting us, um, you know, emotionally, financially, whatever. Mm. It, it's, you know, and, and maybe, maybe we wouldn't have been able to see that if we hadn't have had a really big challenge like the, the, this, this current pandemic come about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've done the work to build brand and now you kind of have brand. It's one of those things that's just so intangible but so powerful. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we just touched on storytelling and I want to kind of, one of the things I wanted to talk about is how do you think about that weaving your story, your culture into it? Because I look at BJJ and I don't have direct involvement in it, but I see like huge opportunity for one of the academies to start to talk about how they first learned it and who they learned it from and what it felt like to get their white belt and who their dad was. And like, because it just seems like it's completely open and I don't see a lot of that sort of old school imagery coming through or just like the general sort of culture of that individual or that little group showing through, but I could be completely off the mark here in terms of what's actually happening. Uh, what do you see and what are the, some of the things that you did early on or that you think about when you kind of create content or when you guys communicate as a business that you think they could start to integrate and think about uh, even at this time, even though it's a little bit late? That's a cool question. Yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about this a bit lately and trying to put some stuff out there for these guys. I think that um, a few that you mentioned there uh, one, like telling the story of you as a white belt. Um, because you, you gen- when you're, when you're like one of the higher belts or you're the owner of your Academy, you are, everyone just thinks you're a beast and they just think you've always been a beast and that you've always been really good at jujitsu. And they don't think that you were a grubby white belt at one stage as well. And that, you know, you went through the same kind of trials and tribulations that they're going through and maybe you quit for a while and you know, whatever. So, um, I think telling that story, however you can, through photographs, through um, uh, like through clips, like playing clips of old competition footage, which most yeah. of us have, like some shitty fucking you know Nokia camera video of like your first match. Um, but also like interviewing like your coach, like the person that taught you, like getting them on a podcast like this or on, mm-hmm. you know, on a Zoom recording, and asking them like, oh, can you tell me like what were some of the things I was really shit at when you were coaching me? Or did you ever think that I'd be a black belt? I don't know, just whatever. Yeah. Um, but that, I think that's super powerful. I think um, the story of, of how you, the story of your lineage is also really powerful. So mm-hmm. like my, my coach, uh, Adam Childs, he's, a, he's the first Australian black belt under a guy called Fabio Gurgel who is one of the all time greats of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And Fabio is the head of an academy called Alliance. And Alliance has by far the highest number of world champions of any other academy. So they've mm-hmm. produced, I think as a team, they've won 13 world championships and the next team behind them has won like five. So they're a really dominant team. And Fabio is a very interesting cat. Actually, he does kind of business coaching and stuff for gyms in Brazil. So, you know, he's almost, he's a bit of a progressive dude within that, but I'm like, Adam, like you went and, as an Australian guy from like um, the, from Byron Bay, you went and lived in Sao Paulo, which is not like a comfortable city to live in. Correct. And you spent like four years or whatever 
in the hardest fucking jujitsu academy in the in one of the hardest academies in the world, getting your ass kicked day after day, and going through this kind of this baptism baptism of fire, and and now you're the only black belt under Fabio, and like like there must be so many cool stories to tell in that in that journey, right? Um, I think that just alone is a thing. Like I could tell my story about mm. how I got to Brown Belt here and there's funny fucking things that happened and mad political situations and, you know, funny characters. And so I think there's a lot in that. Um, the other part that's, that's kind of really easy that doesn't get explored is that there's some very cool, like um, there's some very cool kind of, uh, what, what do you call them? Like um, seminal kind of jujitsu movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like documentaries about MMA and jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. Um, and I made this recommendation to a couple of guys and they've done it. And I think it's worked really well for them, but it's like the movies are all on YouTube. There's a great one called choke and another one called the smashing machine. If you've ever, if you've not seen either of those, um, but you can watch them on YouTube and you can do a watch party on Facebook. So yeah. I'm like, man, why don't you put choke on on a Friday night? Cause Friday nights are typically when most academies have an open mat. So an open mat is, like an open sparring session. There's no, there's no warm up. There's no anything. It's just like 90 minutes. You put the timer on seven minute rounds or whatever it is with a two minute rest and people just roll and that's it. And it's really fun. And you come in and just bash a bunch of rounds out and then get out of there. But I was like, why don't you make a watch party of one of these cool movies? And that's your new Friday open mat. Um, you know, so bring, bring these cool kind of things of the culture that are available and mm. then make them something that you do together with your team. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like we, you know, it reminds me of uh, about two or three months ago, I came back from New Zealand and this time I decided to bring all of my spearfishing back to Australia. I was finally going to like be bothered to do it over here. Uh, Normally I just wait till I go home. Anyway, I get over here and I, you don't bring your weights over because they're too heavy. So you go and you buy some new weights. I go into the shop uh, over in Newcastle and I, I walk in and the, the guy hasn't posted on social for like four years. Uh, the place is kind of old school and I walk in, I'm looking around and basically had to go up and ask the guy to help me to look at, you know, look at what I was after. And I see this and, and I'm looking at this wetsuit as well. I decided to have a look at this bottom of the wetsuit and he goes, he just says in passing, this is the one I shot the Marlin in. I'm like, dude, like, that's a big deal. Like, tell me, like, tell me about that. And it was like pulling teeth to get this story where he had uh, gone, gone out spearfishing just down at Bar Beach, like locally, a couple of K out looking for kingfish, this hundred kilo marlin swims past. He gets it on like a kingfish rig, which is like way too small. Uh, and the thing's mounted in a shop. And to me, that story is why I would go back to the shop because I've got three or four options of shops. I can go online, I can go to the other one, which is a bit bigger and they don't know what they're doing. Or I can go to this one where the dude's hardcore and he, he not that I sort of want to go shooting Marlins, but he's got a story to tell, which basically is a hero's journey. And it's so clear from the outside that we want to be a part of this story, a part of this journey. And we want to be affiliated with the dude who did something like that or the guy who went to Brazil for five years and was in the trenches getting to be black belt. Um, it's so clear that it's painful from the outside when the story is not being told. Uh, what do you think helped you at the beginning or helps you now? You know, you mentioned that you forget to tell it sometimes. 
but to come back to your origin story or some of the stuff that we can grab onto, that we can resonate, that we can kind of affiliate with. How do you come back to it? What inspires you to get going? Um, which may be able to help some of these people as well to sort of get started with sharing this stuff. Do you mean for me to tell my own story? Yeah, look, your own, you know, when I kind of say origin, maybe origin story of you, but also maybe it's JB's. Like I think both carry weight. Um, same with um, Bulletproof for BJJ, like how that started. But um, I think really in any form, it's like if you don't see that it's super valuable, what incentive or what push do you have to do it? Once you see that it's valuable, so you've said here on the podcast, yes, it's important. Here's a few places to start. What actually helped you guys at the beginning to flesh that out? What were the real, um, or did it come naturally to you? I would say it probably didn't come in completely naturally because there's always a part of you that thinks, why the fuck do people want to hear what I did? That's, that's the bit. That's exactly what you just said. That's what I'm interested in because we do so powerfully. What's the switch that flipped that allowed you to do it, even though you thought that? I think it's, I think it's the feedback you get from, um, from, from others. Like say when you, when you, and I mean, I'm going to say some things that sound really fucking templated and generic right now, but when you show some vulnerability on your social media and you talk about, you know, what it was like when you first started going to the gym and you were fucking skinny and, you know, or, or you know, or how you got beaten up once when you were a teenager and that made you start martial arts. These like two things that happened to me, right? You talk about that stuff and people like fucking comment and like, and man, that thing you said, fuck it really, it really struck me, man. Cause that shit happened to me or, you know, mm. and so you like, you kind of go out on a limb a little bit to tell it and then you get all this feedback comes rushing in that reinforces, wow, that was actually a really worthwhile thing for you to put out there because it spoke to a lot of people. Um, you know, people like yourself, like I take a lot of inspiration from you, right? You're, you tell your story really well and you tell others to tell their story. And I'm like, you know, I see your Instagram post. I'm like, fuck, all right, Johnny. Yeah, I know I got to tell my story. And then I do it and I'm like, God damn it, Johnny was right. You know, like this storytelling thing's so powerful, but it's immense. It's immense. Like I, I, I need to go ten times more than what I do, but I just also crave it. And the the funny thing is, half the reason I say it is because I crave to. I'm like I get tired of educational content, so I crave. I want to hear your story. You know what I mean? I actually crave it as a human, uh, yeah, which right. is super interesting. Like that's kind of one of the reasons behind it is because I like to read them so much. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's. It's not, I don't think it comes naturally to people mm. because I think that there is, you do have to, you have to stay a little bit more objective about it in your own mind and not let that little voice that's like, I don't give a fuck what you got to say, man. Like, just show them how to do a push up or, you know, like, and I, and I also on top of that being Australian, I think we have a real kind of aversion to any kind of self promotion because we're mm. just like, you know, put your head down and kind of shut your mouth and do, you know, work hard type of vibe. Um, so I think that you can't, you, you sort of have to cultivate it. So that first thing I said, where you get the feedback from you do it, it's almost like every time I do it, it's like, I'll just throw this out there. And then you get the feedback and you're like, okay, that was rewarding. I'll do that again. 
but it, it's not like, you know, it's not like I wake up every day and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to tell the guys about, you know, whatever time I fucking crashed my car. Yeah. It, it always, it, it's somewhat of an effort. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think too, that people say on social media, I think that people are getting better at articulating what they want now. Like people will tell people will comment like on, on say bulletproof or they'll send us a message and be like, Hey, like, um, how did you and JT meet? Like, what's the deal there or something where you're like, why do you oh, look oh, exactly the same? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. What happened to your mother? Um, <laughs> it, so whereas before maybe people wouldn't have asked that, that's a very kind of, you know, for people to be that forward and stuff. So it's almost like the, the, the signs are there for what people want. Yeah. Love it. Uh, let's, I won't keep it too much longer. Tell me a little bit about uh, Bulletproof. What has it all going? What's happening there at the moment? So, um, yeah, Bulletproof, yeah, it's a strength, uh, conditioning, mobility program that's online for jiu-jitsu athletes uh, or jiu-jitsu practitioners, right? People who train once a week, people who train 12 times a week. Um, it's, you know, it's always been a bit of a side project for us. So I've never been able to put as much into it as I would like. Um, however, it's hit a quite a good point lately. We have like a really nice little crew of members and they love the program and they use it and they're very... Um, I think that because it's quite a different thing and the brand has quite its own feel, I think that people are really happy to get behind it, like to talk about it and post their stories about training. And they, they know that it's JT and I, and they know that they're in touch with us. So they can literally, they can send us, send us a DM on Instagram and I'll get back to them like fucking within minutes, or they can jump on our Facebook group and ask questions and we'll respond that day. And I think that that's kind of, you don't get that with a lot of online training programs, right? Where it's like, here's the two founders, talk to them whenever you want. Um, you know, I don't know if we'll be able to maintain that sort of uh, personal contact forever, but at least for now, it's like we can do it. So I'm quite excited about how it's all going. Uh, the focus right now is on making the experience for users better. So I'm rebuilding the back end of the website and restructuring some of the programming so that it's much easier to work through. Um, that's definitely something that I've realized wasn't up to scratch. Um, but I guess that's the nature of any such thing is that you get to do little bits at a time and that by the time you finish one thing, you realize that that thing you did 12 months ago needs to be updated again. And it's just kind of the process, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I really like it. We just started an Academy membership. So we thought, how can we help gym owners through this time? And we're like, let's launch an Academy membership. So like a gym owner can sign up. They can give all of their members free access to the program. So if you got, hundred members, they can all train bulletproof for free. Um, you just pay a small fee per month. And, and that's been, that's been really cool. Cause it, it's sort of that idea of um, gym owners, not like jujitsu gym owners, not really knowing what they can offer. I started to recommend to some of them, Hey, why don't you run like a strength class a couple times a week and run it? Why don't you run like a mobility class mm. and you can just follow the thing and you can copy our videos and like, it's all there for you. And so, yeah, there's some exciting new things that are happening with it. Love it. What's, um, what's happening for you with your training? How are you staying motivated, fit and healthy? How's the knee uh, post-op going? What's happening there? Um, the knee's going pretty well. It's, uh, yeah, it's like four months post-operation now. Um, that's all going pretty good. Range of motion is not quite there yet, but, but it's coming back. Um, uh, I'm training pretty freely with it. I'm doing a, lot, a bit of running and I'm doing a bit of weightlifting and all that kind of stuff and a lot of mobility. Um, my training is actually more 
uh, more consistent right now than it has been in months. Mm. Um, and it's cause I've just kind of locked in 4:35 PM. I train here at home with my partner. Um, and it means that I'm training sort of at least four days a week, uh, which I mean, you know, this, when you run a biz, it's just very easy to get caught up in the, in mm. the, the work and not get your training done. So I'm kind of really enjoying it. I've gone back to probably two or three days of strength work, usually like an upper and lower body split. And then I do a couple of days of sort of handstands and flexibility work. And um, yeah, I've, I've been loving it. Awesome. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a treat getting to train with my partner, right? I'm normally at the gym, whereas now we're, we're at home and we can just train together in the garage. It's, it's mad. Are you feeling overall a little bit of a slowing down and kind of a, um, a settling of kind of mindset and energy and that kind of thing in this time now that it's, you know, three, four weeks in, or are you as the business owner still, uh, is there still a tension or, or is there, what's the sort of energy like for you at this stage? You kind of enjoying this time, like cruising through this at the moment or what's it feeling like for you? I'm somewhere in the middle of that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm acknowledging that things are slowing down and that there's kind of less on my plate. But in a way, it, it's it, it just the plate composition has changed a bit. And so mm. now there's more chance for me to produce online content. There's more chance for me to talk on my Instagram. Um, there's more chance to, or there's more need to stay in touch with members. So more time on the phone each day. So I'm like, I've definitely got less demanding days. And I think that because of the situation we're all in, it necessitates you not working so much and spending a bit more time with people around you and like, you know, just being a bit more balanced about your life. Um, so I'm enjoying some of that downtime, but I've got to be careful because I could still also spend 12 plus hours a day at the computer working if I don't check myself. Mm. Uh, and that's why I've put in my, uh, my afternoon training for 35 o'clock so that I know like, all right, Cap I finish the up there. Yeah. 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 Love it. Uh, last couple of questions. You, I love the little post you put out on, uh, using your sheets for a training tool. Um, I wanted to ask you, because I think this could really bring some value to the listeners, your views, your usage, your position on Instagram. Uh, I don't have the Facebook app on my phone. So what I see is you on Instagram, if I see your content come out, which is really cool. So I wanted to just hear your thoughts. How do you think about creating, um, there's quite a bit that comes out across the two platforms or three platforms that you're responsible for. Sounds like as head of marketing, what's your, what's your, what's your framework there? What do you, what's your thinking on it? Um, is it just a volume game? Like how do you come up with new stuff? Like what's your sort of mindset around that? That's a cool question. Thanks for the compliment, um, you know, about what I'm putting out and stuff. It's something that I've grappled with for a long time and continue to do so uh, because it is, it is work. It is a challenge mm. to come up with ideas and be creative about it. And it's sort of, um, it's sort of one of those things that you don't get direct feedback about, right? Like you can't just do like a really good week of Instagram and then see that like your business is making more money or, totally. you know, you're getting more sales calls. So it's kind of like brushing your teeth or something. Like if you don't do it once, there's nothing, there's no, there's nothing that happens. And if you do do it once, there's nothing that happens. But if you do it consistently every day, 
you'll have great teeth. And you know, it's, it's that kind of idea. So I, I looked back at it recently. Um, I looked back at it recently and was like, fuck, I've dragged myself through Instagram for a long time. Like we've had jungle brothers since 2011 uh, and that's how long I've been doing the jungle brothers Instagram plus my own plus now bulletproof. So I'm like, all right, I've been doing it for like, let's say nine years or eight and a bit years. Um, I have a choice whether I fucking drag myself through the mud every day and try to, and try and get something up or I embrace it as an opportunity and I enjoy the process of, of spreading a message and putting a word out there that I think is important and that I believe in. Mm. When did you, um, when did you have this thought process? I had this thought process about two months ago. Dude, I reckon I feel the change in it. Like I'm not all always on your guys's content, but you definitely notice the last couple of months a shift in it's kind of like the tone. It's kind of like the, there's kind of like there's a fun feeling to it. There was there before, but there's definitely a little bit of a shift last couple of months for sure. Yeah. Thanks. There's a, there was a conversation I had with a friend of mine uh, who's very, who has a very popular Instagram account. Um, uh, and she, she's like a fitness uh, shown of virtues, her name, you might've seen her stuff. And she's a, you know, she's, she's a killer. She's, she puts out great content. She runs like, she runs an online program and she puts really good quality stuff out there every fucking day and does really well out of it. Right. She's got this amazing following and I really like her brand. There's not a lot of kind of Fitzbo brands that, that I think are cool, but I'm like, hers is super cool. Like I respect it. Anyway, I had a chat with her and I've been, I was trying to figure out, man, do I, I, I thought, well, jungle brothers is my business. Bulletproof is my business. So I just put everything I can into those. And so I was working really hard on those for a, long, for a while and not putting anything out on my own um, because I'm like, well, if I can reduce the output by one third, it's going to allow me to put greater quality into the other two. And I had this really kind of cool chat with her and she was like, um, dude, like people don't, people don't buy like the brand, they buy you. She's like, and I mean, as soon as she said that, I'm like, I fucking know that. Like, it's not, you know, this, I know that. And she's like, you need to build your account. And through that, like you, people will find Jungle Brothers and Bulletproof. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. It's so, it's so clear. Like it makes so much sense. You know, I can put something cool out on Bulletproof, but no one says anything because it's like a business account. Uh, whereas if I put something funny out on my account, I get all these people commenting and, sending me messages. Oh, you're an idiot. That's super funny. Nice pants, whatever. So I'm like, okay, yeah. People interact differently with a person to what they do with a brand. Um, and so that was what I started doing. I was like, okay, I'm going to put more energy into my brand now and I'm going to have a bit of fun with it. And I'm going to try and make that, uh, make that the centerpiece of my energy. Um, and I, you know, it's only been really whatever a month or so since since that shift. And I think that coincides with you noticing that there's been a bit of a change. Mm. Um, but I've really been enjoying that. And I'm really grateful that I was, that I sort of had that conversation because I could have just ended up putting effort into maybe not the right areas for quite a bit longer before realizing. Mm. Love it, brother. Okay, man. Well, I'll leave you to it. Go and get your workout in and uh, have a great afternoon. Is there anything else you want to talk about or, or share anything like that? Um, no, man. No. Uh, you know, thanks to you as always. Thanks for having me on, but also thanks for, for all the stuff you put out there. It's, it really does like, it really inspires me and it, it, you know, it's, I can look back at conversations you and I have had over the last kind of 
24 months that have shaped um, things that I'm doing now and, you know, places where I'm taking my business and stuff. And, you know, so I, I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. Oh, likewise, man. It's been a cool journey to be t- sort of a tiny speck along and part of and see it all unfold and see what you guys create. Cool, brother. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. Uh, appreciate your time. If you're listening to the podcast, you've got any questions for Joey, just hit him up directly. He'll respond within 24 hours as promised uh, on Instagram. I'll put oh, your handles in there. Yeah, that's it. Um, and we'll see you on the next episode.